You're listening to Tech Me Seriously with Sarah Tanisi, CEO of Tanisi Tech. Candid conversations with professional women exploring their passion for what they do. Hi, I'm Sarah Tanisi, the host of Tech Me Seriously and CEO of Tanisi Tech, an IT services firm headquartered here in Silicon Valley. Today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Jill Stelfox. Jill is currently the CEO of Panzura, which boasts the fastest global cloud file system on the planet. She's also a technology innovator. She's holds multiple patents. And I would say above all else, she's a team enabler. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am too. I'm really excited to explore our topic today, which is women, grab a seat at the table. And as part of this, we'll really dig into some of the things that women can do to better position themselves to step into the leadership roles they're aspiring to. So I thought it would be an awesome place to start to have you share your story about working at Zebra and how that led to you creating an entirely new sports vertical. Yeah, I went to Zebra Technologies in uh, twenty late 2012, about this time in 2012, and um, got my staff together in one day to talk about like what assets did we have as a company? And I don't mean physical assets. I meant intellectual property, know-how, people, resources. What are the things that we did well as a division? And the division that I was running was location solutions. So we locate things. And they were telling me all these great um, opportunities around production environments, and that kind of thing. And we needed to grow and grow revenue quickly. And so I kept pushing and pushing and saying in this big, you know, you can imagine it's a conference room and we've got whiteboards going and, you know, where could we connect the dots between location technology that delivers information in sub-second speed um, where you have to know exactly where things are, you know, in under a second. Where does that matter? And what came to me was entertainment. Like, wait, in broadcast, that works in sub-second speed. Sure. And then that led to sports. And so I was like, wait a minute, we could track players. And in 2013, no one was tracking players. Right, no right. Yeah. Like not a league, not a team, no one was doing. And so I thought, well, this is either a great idea or super crazy. And so I called a good friend of mine um, who was at the NFL and said, hey, is this a thing? Like if we could put, you know, little tiny tracking tags on players and put the information um, on the broadcast in under a second, does it matter? And he was like, you won't believe it, but we're trying to do a trial for just that right now with a bunch of other technology. And I was like, let's do it. And we had no experience in sports um, in terms of an organization, um, but a lot of experience in writing great software and 
you know, delivering great solutions that people were running. And so like, what the heck, let's do it. I love that. And at the time, did Zebra have like a research team or anything? Like they weren't really even thinking about all the various places their technology could be applied. Is that right? Yeah, no, they didn't. They really relied on the business unit leadership within their different organizations to figure that out. And this particular group was, um, you know, just a startup, almost incubation idea in the company. Um, And we successfully grew it to be a meaningful part of the organization, obviously, over time, which is great. Incredible. And I mean, it really changed the way that broadcasters were using stats, that announcers were using it. I mean, wasn't there this whole new issue that announcers could almost not even keep up with the information they were getting? Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. We named the project at the time Next Gen Stats. And it's still today when you watch you know, any NFL game, you'll hear the announcers say, well, according to next gen stats, the fastest speed of the game was something, right? And that literally was our project name when we were doing the project back in the day. Um, Yeah. And so we can deliver um, data in, in under what they call real time, which is under the 10 second gap that is, you know, part of the delay in television. So if you wanted, you could overlay speed on a football player during the actual play. The problem is, what would you say about it? Because the play isn't even over yet. (laughs) You don't know the outcome. Right. Um, And we certainly did try in the very beginning to predict outcomes. (laughs) It's very hard to predict the outcome of the play before it happens. I mean, so fascinating. I love this idea of just being really at the right time in the right place, right? Being in this company. And I think the bigger thing is knowing how to apply this technology that had never been applied in this way. I mean, it's really kind of trailblazing, pioneering stuff. It's very cool. So I love this story because we've had a couple of really fun conversations recently. And I feel like this story encapsulates some of the magic of Jill. And and what I mean by that is I think you have more than one story about how you can walk into a room, listen to the, you know, story of what assets a company has, as you put it, right? Like, what are we building here? What are we using it for? And not having someone say, this is what it's used for, having the ability to say, where else could this be used? And so I think the question is, what allows you to do that? I think it starts with a natural ability to listen with curiosity. I think there's two kinds of listening. And often I see people doing the first kind, which is listening to respond in some way or to, you know, show how smart you are in the room in some way. And I prefer to listen with curiosity. And I'm listening for two things. One is the art of the possible, like the NFL story. And the other is the intent of the person communicating with you. What do they want? What are they looking to do? What do they want out of it? Um, And I think that's where like the real joy and serendipity come out of these moments. Um, So that's one, listening. Yeah. Two is 
the ability to trust in your gut and, you know, some women, we call it intuition. Um, but it was about 10 years ago. I, I am 55 and, and 40. So it was about 15 years ago. I finally decided I'm just going to believe myself. And when I get that instinct, that feeling that, wait a minute, this idea um, could be something, then I lean in and I try and figure out how to make it happen. And then the last thing that brings kind of it all together is I love collecting people. I love people. And so I always rely on my network to call and or reach out to, especially now, reach out yeah. to and say, hey, tell me more about this or can you help me with that? Um, so I, I almost never do anything solo. I do it with a group or with help. There's so much to dig into, I think, in all of those things that you talked about. I think listening with curiosity for me, what it ends up allowing you to do, and we talked a little bit about this before, because I don't know how you how you title this, but the more you listen, the more curious you are, you start to just understand things, even if you haven't had experience with them specifically. So I don't know how much of that is intuition, like you were saying, and how much of that is just asking the right questions and being super curious and listening not to be right right? But listening to learn. Yes. To naturally learn. It's funny. One of my favorite questions is, wait a minute, tell me more. Tell me more about that. Especially when somebody's super passionate or super angry about something. (laughs) Yeah. I I love saying, wait a minute, tell me more. Because then you can really figure out what they're trying to communicate to you and you can learn. And I think learning, I love learning. I love figuring out how things work and why they work the way they do and, and how can you win a game? You know, like I just love all of that. And so that just brings, you know, I mean, it's why I love listening with, with curiosity. So that's the listening piece. What about this intuition piece, this learning to trust your instincts? Um, One of the things that came to mind when you were saying that is, I think it was about, it it was probably like five or six years ago. And maybe my timeline's a little bit skewed, but it was the first time I can, I can like vividly remember where I was when I read about imposter syndrome. And at that time, I had never really read much about it. And I didn't know that A, most people have that at some point, right? Mm -hmm. And B, that there was a title for it. And I swear that when I read about it, I thought, oh, that's what's going on in my head. I can just put that aside now. So the flip side of that is, okay, now I'm going to trust myself. So do you remember a point at which, well, you said about 15 years ago, you said, I'm good. I know that I can trust my gut. So where did that come from for you? It's funny. It started, I think this is sort of a journey for most women. We don't, I see, by the way, I'm so excited because I do see some young women that just figure this out super early and you're like, you go. Yeah. But my grandma used to tell me all the time growing up. I can't wait, Jill, until you're comfortable in your own shoes. 
And I thought, what does that even mean? But she said it so many times that it just stuck with me, right? And then I also read about the imposter syndrome. And it's funny, the first time I did a venture capital-backed company and I raised money and then we sold the company, it was like a thousand X return to investors. Wow. And everyone around me said, oh, you're lucky. I thought, am I lucky or am I good at what I do? Like, aren't yeah. I good? Isn't like, like aren't I good? <laughs> like, why is that lucky? And to me, luck is about being really smart and being at the right place at the right time and making a decision to do something, you know? And so you create your own luck. And so I thought, well, that's weird. And that was, I was, you know, at the time I was like early thirties. Right. And so I kept with this whole thing of like, well, maybe I'm just lucky. And then one day it occurred to me, I'm actually good at what I do. And I think this is one of the challenges for women is we, we question whether are, you know, are we really capable or are we lucky? That's one. And two is this whole imposter syndrome. Like, do we have the skills? Do we know what we're doing? And, you know, here's the real deal. I'm the CEO of Panzera. And I know where we're going, like, in the long trajectory. I totally know the North Star. But from day to day to day to day, I don't know. Like, right. we're, we're just figuring it out together with a really great team. So one of the things I see women do a lot is when I walk into the room and I say, hey, I need somebody to take on this big task. And let me describe what it is. Who wants to do that? And the men in the room are like, oh, hey, I'll do it. And the women go through this thought process in their head where they're like, well, do I know the subject matter really well? They're planning already. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They're planning in their head. Do I have Do I have the time with everything going on in my life? You know, can I get that done? And then they're like, well, okay. It, I, I answered yes to about 75% of that. So now I'll say yes to stepping up and doing the project. So listen, that dude in the room, <laughs> he has no idea what he's doing. Right. He just has the confidence and the speed to just lean in and say, sure, sure, I'll do it, right? And we go through this weird process. And so it's the one thing I tell young women all the time, just say yes. None of us know what we're doing. Just say yes and ask people around you for help and listen for curiosity and you'll figure it out because you're smart. You'll figure it out. That is such a big part of it is saying yes and knowing that you've got it. And there's lots written on this topic of, you know, when women see a job description, they sit back and they take an inventory. Have I done all, you know, 50 of these things? Well, I've done about 35 of them. So maybe I won't apply. And it is different. I mean, they've done studies on this, right? Where men will be like, I got this. I got like 30% of this. I got this. No big deal. I'll I'll learn the rest. And I think that there's something really important about that. Like we don't enter the business world. We don't come into the world knowing how to do everything. It's okay. It's totally okay. It's expected. Yeah, it's completely expected. It's funny. I've got a great friend who's um, the VP of talent over at Nike. And he's the one that taught me about how to really write 
job descriptions so that you get more women to apply because we do that. We have to have 70, 80% of the items on the required list before we'll apply. And some dude that's in a whole different profession is like, oh, wing it. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I've got this. It's that confidence. So what did, do you remember, like, give us a nugget. What do you say about writing those job descriptions to make them more women friendly? The easiest thing you can do is be very, very serious about what's required versus nice to have. Um, and the more you put on the required list, here's our rule. Here's our internal rule. Yeah. If we put more than five things on the required list, we've limited our pool of applicants because it's hard for people to have five amazing properties, right? So what's the most important? You know, for example, if you want a job, you know, in accounting, you may have to have a CPA, but do you really, like if it's a lower level accounting job, do you really need that license? Probably not. And so- um, that's just a technical base. But if you put something, here's the other thing on the required skills, put great communicator. It's required because you know what? We are, we're good communicators. So, and it'll give us like one of the items that will be like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> right. And if you've only got a list of five, then all of a sudden you're 20% there. Correct. I mean, that's a big deal. They have software now that help people write gender neutral job descriptions so that more people, they get, you know, a more diverse candidate pool, which I think is really interesting. Um, okay. So we talked about being a great listener and really specifically listening with curiosity and learning how to set aside this imposter syndrome. There's also something I think that varies from person to person, and that is being competitive. So where does that come into play? So I played um, soccer all through college, like all through my life. I even played inter intramural soccer when I graduated. You know, there was, when I graduated, there was no like amazing national women's team. There was nothing like that. Right. right. Um, and so I had to play intramural stuff after I finished or after I got my first job. So I've always been competitive when it comes to sports. In fact, my dad was a coach. So when I got into the business world, I sort of set that skill to the back, which didn't serve me actually very well in the beginning, in the early days of my career, because I thought, well, I don't want to compete head to head with my office mates. And by the way, I still am not a big fan of internal competition. I think you should compete against the market or against a competitor, but not against somebody in your own office. Right, so, right. You want to collaborate, not compete internally. Exactly. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I love this competitiveness. I don't know. It just has never gone away. And it's so funny because um, I talked to a reporter just today, actually. And um, he asked me an interesting question about, well, you know, based on your background and your LinkedIn, it doesn't look like you know much about cloud. Why are you the CEO of a cloud company? And I thought, well, that's a fascinating question. And I wonder if you would ask a man in that way. <laughs> 
And my response was exactly how I think about it when people address me like that, which is, oh, you underestimate me. I love being underestimated because (laughs) when you underestimate somebody that's highly competitive, I'm now going to try and win the game just to win it, just to beat the game. And so that I love it. And I compete today in small, fun ways um, like this quarter in our company. Yeah. There's one big deal that one of our sales guys is trying to close. And so I'm closing three deals that are going to be twice the size of the one big one, just so I could like sell the most. And I I figure if I do it right at the end of the year, then I can say that I sold the most in 2020, which gives you a whole year of bragging rights. So I love it. There's a lot on the line right now. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, and you know, I mean, just to kind of zero in on that idea that would that question have been asked the same way as if you were a man? I mean, there's a couple of things about that. Looking at your LinkedIn is not going to tell the story. And conceptually, the cloud is not really that difficult to understand, especially for somebody that's worked in technology as long as you have. So that seems like a weird question to me. And I think that a lot of women might be defensive instead of competitive on that. And so I think what I'm getting at is how do you harness, how do you become competitive when it matters? Because not everyone's super competitive from a business standpoint. And I think that if you are looking to step into leadership roles, it's something that you need to learn to harness is like that defensiveness, turn it into competition maybe. Yeah, it's actually really funny. I literally have a, a little... Um, piece of paper right below my webcam on my monitor. And it says, offense is the only way forward. I don't believe in playing defense in in any way, like not a game. I'd rather play offense and I would rather play offense at work. Um, and, and when I find myself, even for a second, thinking about being defensive, I try and I physically take a breath, like breathe in, breathe out. And what I think on the in and the out is offense, offense. What's the offensive move? Because by the way, the defensive move is the predictable move. That's what people expect. When they say something rude or mean or controversial to you, they expect you to be defensive. Well, and when, well, sorry, but when you, when you say that, what I was thinking, because when you're doing IT support, right, the, the name of the game is being proactive. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be another way to say offensive, like being on offense, coming up with a strategy to get what you need done without having to be defensive or reactive because something broke? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's a... I mean, I literally think it's a frame of mind, right? And so how can you be proactive in, you know, IT support? How can you be proactive in marketing your company? How can you be proactive in what you're going to accomplish in your day, right? And it's literally every part of it. It's a, to me, it's a way of thinking. 
Well, and that's what being on offense is about. It's about strategy. It's about the plan. It's the strategic pathway that you're trying to make. And I've never thought about it that way. So that's going to be something that comes to mind a lot, I think. When The other thing, too, about talking, when we talk about competition, when we talk about coaching, there's another thing that we've explored before, and that is you know, making sure that you surround yourself with good coaches and good mentors. And how does that happen for people? Like, how did it happen for you? My very first mentor, I was 28 or 29 and the CFO of a company. And I had a mentor who was such an enlightened man who said to me, you know, Jill, your real calling is being a CEO. You have the leadership capability. You have the competitiveness. You have the brains. You could do this. And I was like, really? It never occurred to me to do that. And so then, of course, I asked the question, well, how? Like, how, do, how would I do it? And so he literally just told me how. You know, here's how you should think about it. And here's the things you should pursue and the questions you should ask people. And from that day, it took me about six months because I'm competitive and I was the CEO. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And that was my first start. And then I guess because naturally I had played sports and always had a coach that I thought, well, there must be business coaches. And so I got my first business coach at 30. And I've had different business coaches over time, but my business coach today, it's a great guy named uh, Brandon Maslin. And without Brandon, there's no way I would be the person that I am today because he's the guy that says, what in the heck are you thinking? Like, Like, what are you doing? Why are you not moving forward on that? Where is your offensive game? What's your strategy again? That doesn't make any sense. Tell me more, right? And he's the guy that calls me on all my stuff. Right. (laughs) He holds you accountable. Totally. Totally. And without it, there's no way. It's too lonely. Yes. I got to unpack that for a second. But the (laughs) interesting thing about this is you said, if it wasn't for this enlightened man that came to you and said, you should be a CEO. I think about that question of, you know, are we lucky or are we good? And that seems like an aspect of we we were lucky. I had a similar experience where somebody said to me, hey, you're stepping into leadership for the first time. I want you to know this is a safe place to learn. And he is still a mentor. And I think about that, like he didn't need to do that. You know, I was a manager, he was a VP, and we had a director in between us. He just took the interest. He saw something. And without that, who knows, right? Yeah. And you know what's interesting is if I went back and talked to Paul, was the original guy that said that, and talked to Paul about it, I'll bet you he has no idea how important, like no real idea how important that conversation was. Yeah. And and so I say that because you know, your listeners can make a huge difference in just encouraging one person. You don't have to change the world. Just pick one person and encourage them to take a step in their career. 
Well, and it's funny that you bring this idea up that Paul doesn't know. So mine is a guy by the name of Herman Juan. So I'm sure he'll listen to this and think it's funny that I brought it up. But I actually called Herman a few weeks ago to thank him for that. Because I think you're right. Like, they don't even know the impact. And it just felt like, you know, periodically, I feel like I give those thanks to people because it, it, it could be something that small is saying, hey, this is a safe place to learn, and then just being a sounding board as you learn. And so I've tried to adopt that as I recruit people out of, you know, like the service industry. You know, maybe they weren't even thinking about IT, but they're phenomenal with people. So I'm like, we got to bring that into the culture of IT as being good people, people, you know? And so I think that part's interesting. Um, The other thing is finding a good coach because, right, you just need somebody to keep you accountable. And sometimes you need somebody to say, what are you doing? Like you already settled on this being your strategy. So you're not on track. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's funny because, you know, we're, we're, I think we're all in the phase of trying to plan for what's ahead without knowing really what's going to happen in the world today. Right. And he keeps saying to me, well, how long are you going to wait? Like, what are you waiting for? Wouldn't you just plan given the knowns? You can't plan for the unknown things. Just plan for what you know and move. He tells me all the time, keep moving, which by the way, is exactly what my soccer coach used to tell me. I remember being yelled at from the sidelines keep moving. Yeah. It's no different. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting to think about it like that. So should people actively be looking for coaches then? Yes. And here's what I think. People think that coaches are expensive or unapproachable or when do I get one? Because maybe I'm not a CEO. You should have a coach always is what I will tell you has been my success. And so coaches can be very inexpensive. I think you'd be surprised at how affordable that is. And the other thing is you can find coaches or mentors even for free if you just ask. And what's fascinating is if you made a list of the three best people you would want to coach and you ask them, I'd be surprised if you didn't get one, if not all three, to agree. Because it's kind of an honor to help somebody be successful, right? And to and to work with somebody and teach somebody. You know, I mean, it's honestly, it brings joy. So to see that success in someone, you had a piece of that, right? Yes. I mean, it's like being a proud, I mean, Obviously, I'm a, I'm a mother of two, right? And I'm super proud of my kids, but I'm also so proud of the people that I mentor and coach. Um, and it's just, I mean, literally, it is so fun to watch them be successful. Then I feel like a proud mom. I'm like, that's my girl or that's my guy. Like, look at that. So. Well, and I will say this too. I mean, I've had different coaches throughout my career. 
You know, maybe you need a, a career coach that's going to help you ask for a promotion within your company, right? And then I had a coach named Christy Royce, who she was on one of these uh, podcasts with me. And she was the one that said, you should open your own business. You should go into consulting, which was like a big step. And she even helped make it happen, right? And so you can have different coaches as well as you progress and as you kind of start to find your way. And I think you cannot underestimate how important that mentorship and coaching can be. And I think the other thing I'd say is to people who have the time or have the desire to help, this is one of the best ways to get involved. Even they can make a list saying, I see these qualities in these young women around me. And I think you're right. Young women, I think, are are definitely starting to grasp and lean in quicker than maybe some of us did before. And that is really exciting. But I think, you know, for those of us who might be in a different position now, like, let's find mentees. Let's do some coaching. Let's see how we can be part of the change, which is exciting. It's really exciting. Um, So how do you connect the dots of all of these things we've been talking about? Being a good listener, you know, knowing that you've got to trust your gut. And how do you kind of take everything that we've talked about so far and enable a great team? So to enable a great team, the first is, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, you have to build a space where people can have a trust, a trusting space and, and learn. And so with my team, and in fact, it's one of the things I'm loving about what we're doing at Panzera, you know, it is hard to build trust over Zoom, over Zoom meetings in the middle of a pandemic. And yet we're able to do it. And one of the, one of the gifts that I think women have in particular is the ability to be transparent. Like, just say it. Just be your authentic self and just say it. It's almost like, again, I'll I'll equate it to mothering, right? It's what I would do with my kids and say, look, we're not doing that today. That what you're doing, your behavior right now is totally unacceptable. (laughs) Like That's what we would say to our kids. So why wouldn't we say that in a business environment to create that same kind of love and trust? Yeah. Um, One of the things I hope from this pandemic, by the way, is that as leaders, we all learn to be nicer and kinder. That would be great. And so that's how I'm doing this at Panzera is making sure that everyone knows that they can talk to me about anything. I will hear them out. We've had tough days, right? There's lots of tough days. You can even argue amongst a team, right? Totally fine as long as it's constructive and not personal. And when we leave the room, even if we, our personal idea of what's right didn't win the day, in the end, we decided to do something different. We all do that thing we agreed to and we stick with it. Um, And so it takes time to do that, to, to bring that kind of leadership to a team And it's very intentional. I spend a ton of time thinking about how I make individuals happy and successful and in a space where they can learn and trust. Um, And then how we do that as a team. And it's funny because I think it's one of my gifts. Um, And so I just lean in to do it. And the more that I can create that space and create an amazing team, the better the company is going to be. 
and and I've done it company after company after company, which is cool because now I have this collection of people that I love and trust that are all over. And they're vendors of ours now, they're consultants of ours now, they're, you know, and they just, we just all keep, I, I joke all the time, we keep putting the band back together and it's great. I love that. Okay. So you just talked about how you've been in a lot of different companies and you've been in top leadership roles at these different companies. Do you think that the culture that we're trying to build as leaders has changed in the last 10 to 15 years? And if so, like, what are those elements that are changing? Yeah, it's interesting. I think they, I think it is changing. One of the things that I love about it is that young adults refuse to have a job that's some nine to five purposeless thing. And thank God, because somehow when I grew up in the working world, I didn't know that. I didn't know I could choose to not do it that way. We couldn't, I think. I think we could have because they are. <laughs> like we could have. We could have just all decided to be different. Yeah. And the reason we're changing is that so many young adults think this way, right? And if we all thought that way, we would have changed it. We just didn't. We we thought we couldn't change it. That is. So interesting. So, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think like to get more specific here, I mean, it's this concept that you don't have to live to work, right? It's almost like, like everybody was talking about work-life balance a long time ago, but now it really is like, Hey, we work when we need to work and we life when we need to life. You know, that's maybe one way to think about it. Um, it also feels to me that leadership teams have started to become kinder? I agree. They have become kinder and with purpose. It's funny because it's the number one thing I believe in, especially as it relates to customers. And especially now in COVID, people's lives are really hard. Their work life and their personal life is hard. So just be nice. And here's the funny thing about it. If I do a favor or make it easy for a customer today, I'll have a customer for life. And I don't need to worry about taking their last dollar or winning a deal. It's more important to me to have a long-term relationship. And so if I can help them today, They'll help me some other day. I don't know what day. And it doesn't matter that I don't know what day. Yeah. It'll work out. It'll yeah. just work out. By the way, I think this is a great female philosophy. Like that's how our families work. Somehow we have bad days and good days, but they just work out. Right. And we know that this is the same. It's the same in business, right? You can be really good leader, really friendly, really nice to people and still run a company. You can. Well, there's two things that came to mind as you were sharing that. I mean, the first is that I had a client one time say to me, it's okay to make mistakes because the big important aspect of a relationship is how we deal with each other in times of adversity. Not how we're doing when things are all groovy, 
I mean, really, it's like, hey, how do we deal with the challenging times? And I think it's setting that expectation and being kind. Like, hey, we were supposed to do this and that didn't work out. So let's just figure out how to fix it. It doesn't have to be this total blow up. No, that's right. You know, and then the other thing that came to mind as you were talking about that was when it comes to business and leadership teams, I feel like being kind is almost something that people need to go and rediscover because it felt like, and I don't know if it's geographic, I don't know if this is a Silicon Valley thing necessarily or what, but it feels like business is getting kinder. And I feel like I have to shift and be nicer. I feel like there was a time that I had to learn to be really stern and really all about business and like, you know, be the guy. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. And now I'm like, okay, well, what are your hobbies? And how can I work your hobbies into corporate gifts? And how can I, I'm like thinking about stuff like that now. Honestly, I do think it's totally changed than it used to be where being competitive at work meant that you were like, eating everyone's lunch and (laughs) taking advantage of situations and stuff like that. And now I think competitive can mean, you know, just winning the game, just that simple. Let's just win. Let's just win the order, win the new technology, win the thing. And all the rest of it can just be kind. And what's interesting about being kind at work is that the opposite of that is that my employees are loyal. And that to me brings peace, right? So I don't worry, are they going to be okay or not okay with me? They're going to tell me when they're happy and tell me when they're mad. And, you know, they're going to, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And so we have this loyal, trusting relationship. And I just think it's, I don't know, it's better. It fits my personality better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That aggressive world didn't fit. So with the pandemic, I keep thinking about how much of these qualities the pandemic is pushing into organizations, right? Because there is this immense requirement that leaders understand what families are going through, right? They've got their second graders at the table while they're, you know, in their office. And like, how do you even keep a, you know, eight-year-old encouraged to sit at a computer, you know? And I think that COVID is bringing this to us. And I wonder, do you think there are inherent qualities? You mentioned that it's almost like women behave in families. Do you think there are inherent qualities that women or men bring to the table that allow them to lead through this pandemic? I think actually it's really, what I'm seeing in my company is there's, you know, two groups that are teaching me so much women because it seems so much has fallen on the moms, you know, we now have our husband's home, we're juggling Zoom calls, we've got to know, you know, geometry, like you're talking about. It's insane. It's literally insane. And then by the way, worrying, what does this mean for your child as they grow up? Like, are they missing the whole of fifth grade? (laughs) You know, like, where's this going? Yeah. And so just their worry. And then the other group is the you know, young millennial crowd, right? That is just working their ever loving tail off because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And I worry where this all goes. And I think that 
those groups are talking about it. You know, we're all talking together now. What does it mean, especially now that, you know, there's a vaccine coming out, is what is the post-vaccine world look like and how do we decompress and how do we keep the things we've learned, which is how to be nice over Zoom and how to be nice on emails, those things we've learned in the pandemic, I think. Yeah. How do we keep those qualities and yet manage our family life, work life better? Yeah. Um, There's just no break now. There's no break. And we all have a shared experience that we maybe didn't have before. Which yeah, that I, yeah, that's a good point. That maybe leads to this like, can we just be nice to each other? Because we have a lot on our plates, and there's just this collective stress that everyone's dealing with. One of the benefits I think of the pandemic and all these Zoom calls is we've seen physically seen the dogs, the kids, the the homework issue. One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. It's all collided on these Zoom calls. And so I feel like I really know people better. I know their families and I appreciate the person that they are. Yeah. And had they just shown up in the office and we met around a conference room and did a whiteboard, I would have never known all that. Yeah. And so I'm very grateful for that. It almost forced us all to be a little more authentic. Yeah. And I really am self-reflecting here, right? Because again, I'm, I really want to be nicer and softer. I think there are elements I can bring back into work. But it is that, oh, look at the baby or look at your dogs or ha-ha, your dog's licking himself back there. I mean, I've, those are the, you know, they're so funny. And it's like, oh, there's your husband. Let me say hi. Or there's your wife. Let me say hi. And you're right. Those are not things that we would have ever done before. Like you would no. go to work and a lot of people don't talk too much about family at work. You know, you either do or you don't. So that's actually a really good way to think about it is that we've sort of become more humanized with each other, right? Like, oh, that's your space. Oh, that's really cool. Or, or whatever else. I love it. It's funny. We have a guy at our work who's literally building a house. And so (laughs) he's building a house around him, right? Around the Zoom call is this construction. And it's so fun. And we just give him knowing your grief. We're like, you're going with that paint color? That's so funny. That's what you choose? (laughs) Uh Well, and you know what you find is there's time for that. There's time for that. You know, we actually can be a little bit more fun at work. And I think there's, it's interesting because I wanted to kind of tie this into is, you know, you talked about how younger generations are just not going to work to work, like, or live to work like that, that has kind of gone by the wayside. And it makes me think that a lot of this is the gig economy, right? I'm going to work when I choose to work. And I think that there's something really fantastic about that. I think you couple kind of what was already happening from that work-life balance perspective with COVID. And I feel like companies will fundamentally change in terms of where they expect people to be and when they expect them to be there. Is that ringing true for Panzura, do you think? Yeah, we're, we've made the decision that our office, we actually changed the name of it. We don't even call it an office anymore. We call it a town hall. And we will open the town hall when, you know, we all feel safe to do so. And our town hall is going to be used for meetings, collaboration, and serendipity is what we say. And your work 
can happen wherever. So if you want to go and work from a yurt that happens to have Wi-Fi, like you go, I don't care. Yeah. Wherever you're happy is where you should work. This idea that somehow somebody thought that people that work remotely aren't doing their job, that is not what I am seeing at Panzer. I worry about just the opposite. My team is working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. because they have nothing better to do. That has to stop. Yeah. <laughs> like we, like when, when the pandemic is over, how are we all going to do meditation or yoga or get out of our own way of working all the time? <laughs> like we have to break this cycle. Yeah. And it's just the opposite. And so we really want to have a town hall where we can go and have meetings and see each other and hug each other and do all of that, but not work there. Would you say that if you were on the phone or doing emails, you can do that from anywhere? <laughs> I mean, totally. Yeah. Are you literally anywhere in the world? Yeah. So this idea that like, oh, well, I'm going to go to Europe for a week vacation. Well, why don't you go rent a house for a month and work for three weeks, have all the weekends in Europe and then yeah. take a week off? Yeah. Like, why don't you do that? I don't care. I mean, I haven't heard a lot of CEOs talk about it in those terms. And I think it's, I mean, that's what I'm hoping to hear. And I think it's funny because we have clients that are, you know, 500 person companies that up until COVID expected people to be in the office. And part of why I think they chose to work with Tanisi Tech is we talked about cloud enabling work from home or or another way to put it is work from the field. What if you're a healthcare company and you're visiting people all day long in the field? Well, why would you need somebody to come into the office to print? I mean to whatever, you know? And so that's been really core at our philosophy and it's been really fun to see companies start to talk about downsizing office space and creating something like you're talking about. I mean, you've really thought it through. I don't think I've heard it said in that much detail. I love the idea that it's a space for serendipity, a space for collaboration, a space for fun. Um, And I think that that part's really, really amazing. And I think that when you think about what Panzura does, I mean, I think you could talk about that. You could mention like that's sort of core at your company. I mean, you're a cloud company. So you guys enable remote work. Yeah, that's exactly right. We literally enable, whether you're on-prem or data in the cloud, we enable users to have whatever files they need to collaborate all over the world. And so it makes natural sense that you could be anywhere and get work done yep. to us. Um, and it's part of like, you know, you got to eat your own dog food. I was of just going to say that. You pulled that yeah. out of my mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, of course you can do it, which by the way, is it's actually really fun. So we can stress our own product before we ever give it to a client. <laughs> well, and I think that that is really important. It's like, this is why everybody's been talking about going to the cloud, you know? And I think for people that are still worried about it, it's because it's not explained properly. It isn't that big of a deal. You know, it's making sure that you have the files you need, right? Like everybody gets email in the cloud. Email's been in the cloud. But we always see clients that have gone to email in the cloud and not files in the cloud. And I'm like, okay, well, let's do that for you now because that is the true unlock. 
Yeah. And as soon as you've got a collaboration space in the cloud, then you could be anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere in the world. You could be sitting in a cafe in Spain. Doesn't that sound great? It does. And it does. And get your email done. <laughs> like, why not? And I think that's part of it. It's a class, it's it's like a combination of having the right tools like Panzura and the right services and infrastructure team that can implement this stuff securely. I think that that's what is making this time from a work perspective so exciting. And I think what we'll see out of COVID is more innovation on some of the jobs that traditionally really can't be remote. That's what I really have kind of my eyes peeled for is I'm really waiting to see, well, what are people saying that they still can't work remote for? And what are we going to come up with to enable them? And I think we have the the older people, and I put myself in that category, have the opportunity to learn right now from the younger generation because how they thought about work and life and the balance was really good going into the pandemic. And now we know we can all work remotely. So now if we continue listening to them, we could craft what the new way of working is going to look like, right? We could really embrace this idea that you could go and rent a yurt that has Wi-Fi or whatever crazy idea you want and still be effective in your job. And there's, you know, it might be more effective because you're more creative. They might be right, these young kids. They might just be right. I think that's it. You know, when you're happier, you work better. That's not even a new concept. So why not focus on that and, and enable that happiness, enable that family feeling in work? You know, and I think you can still have the appropriate amount of accountability and happiness. It could be a balance of those two things. By the way, it can be. And let me tell you, it's funny that you say that because I think women, we get this kind of like people will say, oh, you're too nice and you're not tough enough. Oh, listen, you've ever seen a mama bear <laughs> right. getting mad when something's going on with her kids? I got the whole mama bear. You hurt my company, I will I will hurt you. Like <laughs> I will mama bear you like nobody's business, right? So it's there. And it and just because I'm nice and I care and I treat my employees like family because they feel like family to me, it doesn't mean that you can hurt the family and not get in trouble. That you can, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not tough. I'm right. tough. I'm still tough. You know, you want to, it's funny how we say it, how we say it all the time. Just dare me, dare me. Yeah. I, I'll take you out. <laughs> well, we talked about this. You know, you have to be willing. I think you have to be willing to have your teams back to that extent, totally. right? You don't let people mistreat your team just because they're a customer. Yeah, no. You will have their back. And I think that's something we can teach our team members is it's not okay to be mistreated by a customer. And, you know, it's this idea of accountability. And, you know, we also kind of have this shared experience of collecting people along the way. And one of the things that I've always talked about is I've collected, like you said, you know, being able to get the team, you know, the bands all back together again. I always laugh at that, too, because I've been able to bring people along with me 
who served me in the past and became friends. And it we didn't become friends because anything went. We became friends because we we were a good team together and we held each other accountable. So if a vendor wasn't doing right by me, I could let them know. And you know what? They would generally agree. And those are the people that I bring into my circle when we go and, and start working with a new company. And I think that that's really important. It's that, you know, it's integrity is really what we're talking about. Integrity and accountability. Like we hold each other accountable. We have each other's back and we move forward with this stuff. And I think that that's really key when you're talking about building a great team. I agree. And I, you know, the one thing that I love that you're saying there is that the team is your own employees, but it's your vendors and your customers. It's the whole ecosystem that has to have this trusting environment. Um, so I love it. I mean, that's the way I think. I, I think it's part of the new way of working. And again, it ties back to some really basic concepts of integrity and kindness. Agreed. Totally agree. I feel like we cracked the case. I do too. Yeah, just be nice. Yeah. Um, Jill, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Tech Me Seriously. I enjoyed our conversation and I'm really excited um, to hear what others get out of this. This, I'm hoping, was an important conversation full of nuggets for people to take with them. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to Tech Me Seriously with Sarah Tanisi. You can connect with Sarah on LinkedIn at Sarah, T-E-N-I-S-I, or you can send her an email at Sarah at TanisiTech.com. I'm Marcus Edwards. I produced this episode. So until next time, cheers for now.